I'll read Romans 1 through 10 just to kind of get us caught up. We're going to take a little detour today because we've got to understand something. And I'll explain that. So here we go. Romans 1, 1 through 10. Uh, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's one long sentence. <laughs> separated by commas. Uh, verse 8, First I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son that without ceasing, ceasing I mention you always in my prayers asking that somehow by God's will I may now at least succeed in coming to you. For Verse 11, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. So that verse 11 is what we're going to kind of divert from, which is what spiritual gift um, that Paul wants to impart to them or to strengthen them. And we have some, so his prayer has those, has a few aspects of it, right? The last point of his prayer is that he wants, he's longing and been praying for them without ceasing that he can impart a spiritual gift to strengthen you. So his purpose of, of writing to Rome was to strengthen the church in Rome, and it's in accordance with Ephesians 2, 19 through 20. So we're actually going to be in Ephesians 2 and 3 mostly today um, to understand what Paul is speaking about when he says imparting a spiritual gift to you. So flip your Bible over a couple books to Ephesians. So read, someone would read 19 and 20, Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Okay, so we know that uh, one of the from this verse, we know one of the primary purposes of the gift of apostleship, not everybody had a gift of apostleship, only 12, right, um, was to lay and establish the foundation on, upon which the church would be built, Christ being the chief cornerstone, right? As we mentioned last week, the church in Rome was not established by an apostle, um, so therefore Paul wanted to come and establish it and strengthen it and make sure that it was doctrinally sound. He didn't have anything against it to say, but he wanted to make sure it was well established from an apostle's point of view, because that was a direct uh, revelation and a direct gift of apostleship was through Paul to this church. Um, so while their faith was strong, something perhaps was missing, right? And the fact that apostle hadn't established it, something was missing. So what was missing? Um, there's two verses that can kind of give us 
give us an idea of what that might mean. And the first passage is Romans 15, 29. So remember, Paul is writing to the Roman church from Corinth, right? He's never been to Rome, and he's writing from Corinth to uh, the church in Rome. So he says in Romans 15, 29, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So we saw a couple verses before that he wants to impart a spiritual gift, a spiritual encouragement. And now he's saying, when I come, I'm going to come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ, right? So that could have been the thing that was sort of missing from that church because it didn't have the fullness of the blessing of Christ through an apostle to them. And the second passage is Romans 16, 25 through 27. And it said that that verse basically says, Paul, actually, let's go there. Let's look at Romans 16, 25 through 27. Romans 16, 20, 16, 25 through 27. Twenty-five says he says my gospel, preaching of my gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ. Wouldn't we want normally think there'd be the same one and the same thing, right? But he's saying I'm preaching my gospel, and he said it's a revealing is taking place of the mysteries previously not known, right? So there's there's Paul is basically making the case that there is something uniquely given to him to to share, strengthen, and encourage the churches, uniquely revealed to him. And what, what that was may involve two things. One of them is the special understanding of the union of Jews and Gentiles into one body, right? So that's a mystery revealed in the sense of what does mystery mean in Scripture? Anybody have an idea? Right, right. So it's not mysterious, meaning it, it's mystical or it's, you know, it's, uh, it's something that you can't quite understand. When the term mystery is used in the New Testament, it's just talking about something that was always true, just is now being revealed to the New Testament apostles. I was asking Mama about that this week No longer mysterious yeah, or no longer mysterious. Yeah. Right, right. So two th there's two things here, right? The the special understanding is that there's a union of Jews and Gentiles. In the Old Testament, there was no union, right? There was no it was a huge separation. In fact, the partitioning veil was to separate Jews from Gentiles. And so that's what we're gonna one of the things we're gonna dive in today. And then the second point or thing that Paul can impart to them 
is their positional truth of being in Christ. And we talked about that before, that the term in Christ is a technical term. You, you move from being in the world to in Christ, and being in Christ is a technical term, meaning that you are justified, are being sanctified, and will be glorified, right? So um, when he says of his gospel, Paul, his gospel or his good news, he's contrasting it with sort of other gospels, other uh, trainings or teachings. So because these are kind of major points, that's what we're going to dive into, but it's going to push us from Romans into Ephesians 2 and 3. So let's look, um, now we'll go, go back to Ephesians. Um, so this is one of the mysteries, the idea of Jews and Gentiles being one body, right? Well, we talk now, when you're a believer in the church, you are the body of Christ. One, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Greek, male or female, it doesn't matter. You're one body. Well, that's new, right? That's a mystery from uh, Christ in the New Testament um, that's new. Um, so let's look at, uh, we're going to look at Ephesians 3. And we're going to read 1 through 12, and it explains this particular mystery. And he, we're going to see that Paul is actually a, a prisoner of this idea, right? On behalf of the Gentiles, he's obligated to, to teach and to show forth this gospel or his gospel that the Jews and the Gentiles are one body. So let's look at verse uh Actually, read 1 through 12, and then I'll go back over each kind of verse. So someone read 1 through 12 of chapter 3, please. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to, made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages uh, past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my suffering for you, which are your glory. Okay, so we're going to unpack that some. But in order, there's a lot of mysteries, right? So, to, in order to unpack chapter three, we got to kind of know what chapter two is about, right? Chapter two is kind of preparing the the background of that. Um, and so, he in chapter two, just to summarize, he's writing that the Gentiles were previously not enjoying the spiritual blessings of the Jewish covenants because the Mosaic law separated them, right? 
The Mosaic law was that middle wall of partition we were talking about to keep Gentiles as Gentiles. If you wanted to become uh, righteous before God, you had to be converted to Judaism and follow the Mosaic law. That's how it was before. You still always had to have faith, right? Salvation is always by faith from past, present, future. It's always by faith. But when Christ died, what happened to that veil? It torn in two, right? He destroyed that middle partition. There was no partition there anymore, right? And he brought the Gentiles near. So in Ephesians 2, 1 through 12, that's where Paul is talking about these things. So now the Messiah, Christ, has united Jews and Gentiles into one body, right? The body of Christ, the church. Um, and then in Colossians 1.18, he describes the church as the body of Christ, right? We, we know that already. Until then, there were two types of people. There were Jews, and then there were Gentiles. Now there's a third type of person, right? There's a Jew, there's a Gentile, and now there's a believer in Christ, which is part of the church. So there's this third who's made up of both Jews and Gentiles, right? Um, so the, the Gentile believers and the, are now fellow citizens with Jewish believers, right, in the household of God. The foundation of this household is the church, right? The foundation of the church, Christ being the cornerstone, right? So G, uh, the apostles are the, the revealers of this new um, dispensation or this new stewardship of how man approaches God. That's basically what a dispensation is or a stewardship is how God deals with man, right? In the Mosaic law period, God dealt with man through the Mosaic law. So people by faith would follow the Mosaic law that the Lord would attribute to them righteousness by doing these certain things. Um, and the law was very good at exposing that you are a sin sinful person, right? That you needed sacrifices, you needed atonement, you needed covering of your sins. The law was, was, uh, was um, what do we say? The law was Im, um not powerful to save you. The law, all the law did is expose to you that you are a sinner, right? That you needed a savior. But the law is powerless to save you. So they had, the Jews, like we talked about before, Jerry, they had to look forward to the time when the Messiah would relieve that, that powerful burden of being a sinner. They didn't know exactly who it would be, although scripture pointed you know, to a time period and a person who would come to at a certain place, they looked at they looked at forward at faith that there will be a time, but they still be, become righteous before God. They did it through the Mosaic law by faith. And as we know, when we studied the Gospels, what had happened is that the law became just a mechanism of, of obedience rather than of faith. You, you just had to follow these things and it became a, a puffery. It puffed you up in the sense that you had self-righteousness because you didn't look at it as faith. You just started saying, well, I gave my two doves and I gave my first fruits and I gave, you know, these things. And so, but the salvation is always by faith and it's always been through the Messiah. Are we good? Are we pretty clear on that, right? Um, so the foundation of this new body that Christ brought together is the church, right? And the, the apostles established, strengthened the church as Christ being that cornerstone. This, this church, 
is now the temple of God, right? You are the temple of God. I mean, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. It's not in a holy of holies. It's not in an ark of the covenant. It's not in any of these things. The Holy Spirit now dwells in you, and you are a temple of the God, temple of God. And so, when you become in Christ, the Holy Spirit manifests Himself inside of you, and that's where God is dwelling inside of you as well. So Paul's calling is saying that he's a prisoner to this. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, on behalf of you Gentiles, he's saying that his calling was to minister this teaching to the Gentiles so that they could become citizens, fellow citizens with Jewish blessings that were given to the, as the covenants before. Yeah? Okay. So in 3.2, um, so... 3.1, he says he's a prisoner. In 3.2, he added that a certain knowledge had been given to him. Um, and it says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. There's a notes for you. We're in Ephesians 3 at the present moment. Okay, so Ephesians 3, a certain knowledge had been given to him. He says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, right? So he's saying that he received the knowledge of that dispensation, that new dispensation, that new stewardship of grace rather than law on behalf of the Gentiles. This new dispensation or stewardship is the mystery of the church now being developed and being revealed. And then verse 3 of Ephesians 3 says, How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. Right? So he's telling you already that the mystery is the Jews and the Gentiles being one body. He says, It was made known to me by revelation. Who gave him the revelation? Christ himself. And he has written about it briefly before. So when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Um, so he's sort of separating himself from even the other apostles and that saying that Christ gave him alone this new revelation about the church being made up of the Jews and Gentiles. Remember, Paul being the apostle to the Gentiles, right? So he had a special and unique understanding of it. So that's why he feels he's in prison. But prison not meaning... Um, not meaning punishment but feels like he's constrained to like he must do this he's constrained and obligated to do this because Christ gave him that revealing that understanding about the church right so he feels like he's obligated to do this thing which is teach or impart a spiritual gift of that one body of Christ so he considered himself a steward of the mysteries of God um, and so he wants to proclaim it with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which he was willing to suffer physically. And that's, you know, we'll, we'll go through that all, all over the time. But he's always saying things like, I am not ashamed, I am bold, I am proclaiming this with boldness because he, he received direct revelation of Christ that he feels that he's obligated to do this thing as a result. Are we good? Okay, so verse 5 of Ephesians 3, Paul stated this mystery had not been revealed in the past, but has now only been disclosed to the apostles and New Testament prophets, which is what makes it a mystery. 
So he says, verse 5, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Do you remember the Jerusalem Council when we were in Acts, right? There was an issue, right? The issue was how do we, what do we do with these Gentiles, basically, right? Do we, do we impart the Mosaic law on them, right? Do we make them, you know, follow the Sabbath, be circumcised, all these things? And there was some debate, right? And even between Paul and Peter, and even though Peter walked with Christ the whole time, Paul re had a rebuke against Peter because Peter was trying to put the yoke of Judaism onto new believers. Well, Paul here is saying, I received new revelation from Christ, and so he went and had private discussions with Peter, and at the end of the Jerusalem Council, they agreed that Paul's gospel is Christ's gospel, right? That, that there, we will not put, so they wrote a letter, we will not put the yoke of burden of Jewish law onto Gentiles, and even, even to the Jewish believers. They could follow the law if they wanted to follow the law, parts of it if they wanted to, and parts they didn't want to, because the law was powerless to save them. They were already saved. But if their customs and their culture wanted to, uh, you know, they felt comfortable doing those things, by all means do it, right? So this new mystery is revealed um, now to the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, right? So again, here in verse 6, he's going to tell us exactly what this mystery is. Um, I misspoke. It wasn't quite written yet. Um, so verse 6, he says, um, the content is that Jewish and Gentile believers are united in one body. And he says it right there, verse 6. His mystery is that the Gentiles, Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So that must have been what Paul had said to James and Peter and uh, John, the other apostles in Jerusalem church, is that they are fellow heirs, right? Um, so this is one new man. So Gentile, um, let me, but let me clarify something, that Gentile salvation is not the mystery, right? It's not that Gentiles would be saved, because in the Old Testament, we have, we have revelation that they would be, right? Um, in Isaiah 11.10 and 42.6, Malachi 1.11. So there, there was already an understanding that Gentiles w could become saved. So the mystery is not that Gentiles would be saved. So what's the mystery? If I made myself pretty clear. <laughs> right, right. One body. Right, it's not Gentiles becoming Jews, and it's not Jews becoming Gentiles. It's a separate body, right? Good, okay. That's good. <laughs> Gives me a little encouragement. Um, um, the body of Christ is, is the church, is that mystery being revealed, right? Um, so there's three parts. Um, as the position of Gentiles, it has three parts, right? So we see that they're fellow heirs, right? They share with Israel in the inheritance of the kingdom. Not to mistake that they are overtakers of the principle of the promises right they're not the pro the promises that were given to israel is not given to the gentiles it's that now the gentiles can participate in the promises given to the jews yeah we're not replacing that jerry so um this is just so clear you know like you can't it's not it's not even a gray area it's a black and white so why do certain denominations 
think that the church is Israel or Israel is the church. This, that's funny, this chapter is, that, is a chapter that they use to conflate, uh, conflate those two promises, actually. So progressive dispensational, which is a whole, you know, a whole nother. You know, that's another rabbit trail. Right. To me, that seems clear. It seems very clear, right. When you put them together, when you take this thing out, say you just took Ephesians 3, Ephesians 2 and 3, you could maybe make a case that there is uh, the conflation of Jews and Gentiles in one body, so the promises of Israel don't, this is who they are given to. But you have to take the whole counsel of Scripture, right? You have to take the covenants and read the covenants and say, who are they given to? They're given to the people of God. We're going to find out in Romans 9, 10, and 11 that Paul very, very clearly dispels that. Very clearly. Like, God is not done with Israel. It's that simple. And all the promises are still there. But like you said, when you actually read it, we're fellow heirs. Not inheritors of it. We're just fellow heirs of it, right? Right. But why? I don't know. You always ask the hard questions, Jerry. Why? When you say what does this, and it's easy. When you say why, you're like, oh, I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know. That's good. It just seems so weird because there's, and those people feel like um, we're already in the tribulation period. Mm -hmm. And that can't even be. If, that, if we were, then this would happen. But then they say that because we're the, the Christians, the Jews, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. It, that's why it's our duty to have a, a, a biblicist point of view. It's not a denominational point of view. It's a biblicist point of view in the sense that God's word is God's word, so we need to understand it. And like we started Romans and any of the other books, you've got to know who wrote it, why he wrote it, who's the audience, what's the, what are they trying to answer, getting back to the literal, like grammatical, historical interpretation, meaning that words mean what they say. They're not like, you know, uh, multiple definitions. Um, it's grammatical meaning that the syntax and the way the sentences are is not mysterious it's not like skeptic you know it's not mystic mysticism and then historical is we put ourselves in the shoes of the audience we don't try to take it and put it in our culture today or our understanding we got to put ourselves in the position of the audience to really understand what was going on and when you do things like this are it's like oh that's so easy right and when you stick consistently with that you do come up with a a system, a process, and it all works together. And that's why here at this church, regardless of the denomination, we believe in a premillennial rapture because we believe that Scripture clearly says those things, right? We believe in a literal 1,000-year kingdom where Christ will rule on earth from Jerusalem. We, we believe that because the Scriptures all point in that direction, right? And so when you follow a literal grammatical historical hermeneutic or interpretation, you will come up with certain conclusions, and those conclusions are consistent. But when you take chapter three, and you take chapter two, and you take chapter one of somewhere else, you can really come up with anything. You know, you really can. There's, I always mess with our kids because there's a psalm that says, it says, there is no God, right? There's one psalm that says, there is no God. If you take that out of context, because it says, the fool says in his heart, 
there is no God, right? So as a simple illustration, you can make the scripture say anything you want it to say, right? So it's very important to be a biblicist, study the Bible as close to its original uh, writing as possible, and you'll come up with certain results, so. Okay, so first Gentiles, fellow heirs, right, into the inheritance of the kingdom. Um, they're fellow members of the body, which is the church, right? And third, they're fellow partakers of the promise, right? So we're not, we're not, we don't overtake the promise. We don't take the promise. We're just now fellow partakers of it. Um, we're also fellow members. We're not the only members, but we're fellow members, and we are fellow heirs to the promise, right? So the, we're, we're going to receive spiritual blessings. Israel, the land, will receive physical blessings in the, in the millennial kingdom, right? So we get that because of our position, our position of being in Christ, and the means of obtaining that position is through hearing and by faith believing in the gospel, right? We good? Okay, verse, verse 7 of Ephesians 3 says, and he says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power, right? So remember, gospel doesn't mean, to us, the gospel means a very specific three-sentence thing in 1 Corinthians 15, but gospel means good news, right? And so there's a lots of good news out there, and Paul is saying of the good news, I, of this gospel, the good news that there's one body, that's what I, I made a minister for. Um, so he was made the minister of that minister of that mystery, and he's using his spiritual gift to proclaim the mystery on the basis of God using His power through him. Yeah, and then Ephesians three eight a um, he he declared himself to be the apostle of the mystery. He says to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Right? He's saying right there that it was given to him. Right? And that's the purpose of his calling is in verse B, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So making Christ's riches the riches of the Gentiles as they became fellow partakers, fellow heirs, and fellow members. Yeah? And then verse 9, it's the goal, right? And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Right? So this new dispensation or this new stewardship of the mystery is that it's by the grace of God, right? He created all things. So Jews and Gentile believers are in one body, um, and it was made known to Paul on behalf of his calling to the Gentiles. We're following that, right? It's all, we kind of, it's there. It's like, okay, that, that works, right? Um, okay, so... It, what had been hidden in God, who created all things, but has now been revealed, and it's being revealed through Paul. So Paul is sort of making a case as, hey, you, you ought to listen to me. You know, uh, God gave me this revelation, it's uniquely me. And so I'm, you know, even in Galatians, we find that in many letters, he, he sort of puts his little resume up front, right? Saying who he is and why he has the authority to say what he says, right? Um, but not everybody could, because only the apostles could, right? Okay, then verse 10 of Ephesians 3 um, he spells out the object and purpose of his calling, and it says, so that the, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. 
Um, so the manifold wisdom of God would be revealed through the church. Where was the manifold wisdom of God revealed before? Right, right. Judaism, right? In, in, in Ju the, the light of the world was in Jeru or Israel, and it was their responsibility to be the light to the whole world, right? And they would have to, but they would have to come, they'd have to come to that place. Now the gospel is, now we go to their places, essentially, right? They would have to come to Israel to learn about the manifold wisdom of God. Now the church is going to spread, and it's going to go out everywhere, right? So it used to be come and see, now it's kind of go and do, right? But when it says manifold wisdom, manifold meaning the Father, Son, Holy Spirit? Um, well, in the sense, yes, manifold meaning that it's, it's um, imparting, like it's, it's, uh, it's a movement, it's in, it's in uh, from, from here into here, more or less. It's moving from here to there, right? It's, it's going to be manifested itself in that way. So manifold, it's going to be moving in that way. Does that make sense? So that well, through... It's interesting that it's um, made known to the rulers and authorities in heaven. In the heavenly places. That is interesting. And I'm not exactly sure what that means. <laughs> we do ask those long questions, like why was it hidden all these years? Why didn't the Old Testament prophets say that the Gentiles were the Son of God? They didn't know. They, they didn't. The people didn't know, but apparently the spiritual world didn't. Didn't know either. Yeah. In God, just like when He talks about no one knows, only the Father knows, as far as when Jesus comes back. So the spiritual world doesn't know that either. Yeah. God keeps some things to Himself. And that is a diff that's a that's a discussion of the Trinity there too. Is what is the relationship there? Because even Christ said, "Father, if there's a way from, can we do this another way? I, you know, is there another way that I cannot go through this? If there any other way, but not my will, your will be done." So there's there's dialogue that we're not privy to, but there is dialogue. I mean. God gave us that dialogue, and God, like I said, in, in the heavenly places, that even the angels are in awe of our behavior, of what we do, and what changes in our lives. So, I, I, I agree. <laughs> I agree. I think we're going to be uh, astoundedly surprised and and pleased when we go to heaven to understand all of these things. But maybe in heaven there's things that we still don't, you know. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. So you have these little parts. Yeah. Well, the well, I guess we won't, we won't talk about that. There's a whole other rabbit trail on that. <laughs> there is a very interesting one, but yes. Okay. Um, so the mystery is the union of Jews and Gentiles. It shows the wisdom of God and his program for this age, right? So clearly we can deduce that the, the mystery was not even known to the heavenly places. And so when this, when Paul, it was revealed to Paul, the heavenly places were probably like, what? What's going on? What is this, you know, type thing? And so God's wisdom is manifold, and we can say that, that the, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is now going to go out, right? Um, okay, verse 11. 
Um, so it's always been part of God's plan, but now it is being revealed. Only now is it being revealed, right? And it says, verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, right? We can go to Hebrews, and it talks about how in times past, God spoke through the prophets and through the word. Now, in these times, it's through his son, right? And so it's the same thing. The eternal purpose has now been realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is a good study. That'd be a, an interesting study to kind of see how all that part <laughs> took place. Um, so he concludes his um, explanation of the mystery in verse 12, and he spells out his confidence in proclaiming the mystery. And so he says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence uh, through our faith in him. So the mystery was a union of Jews and Gentiles in one body, right? It had not been revealed in the Hebrew scriptures before. This was maybe the one thing or one of things that Paul could impart as a spiritual gift to the believers in Rome. Do we see why we went and did that little rap and that little hook over there, right? It was because he, although he had nothing to say against them, um, he could impart a spiritual gift, a spiritual understanding, and that is this union, right? So that was one of the things. And then quickly, the second thing is uh, positional truth, right? So the union of one, the Jew and Gentile to one body, and the second spiritual impartation that he could give would be the idea of positional truth. Um, so since the believer has been identified as being in union with Christ as a result of their salvation, right, they're now in a new position with God altogether, right? Like I was saying before, being in Christ, it means that God sees the believers not as we naturally are, fallen creatures, you know, our works are as filthy rags, but rather he sees us as uh, through his son, right? God the Father sees us through as, as they are in his son. It's, it's called imputation, right? It's he imputes his righteousness onto us. We, that, that pro propitiation was the exchange where he took upon our unrighteousness and then he imparted his righteousness onto us. So our new position is that God the Father sees us as he sees his son, right? No longer as our natural sinful selves, but he sees us as righteous through his son, through imputation. Um, and because of that position, great amount of power and authority has been given to the believer. And I don't mean authority and power to cast demons and take snake bites and all these things, but over your own life, right? You have the power, you have the, the uh, desire to now live righteously and to be sanctified, right? And some people might have that power to do healings and, and you know, snake bite. And, you know, I don't want to get all into that, but that this more uh, follows the amount of power and authority you have over your own life, right? We were slaves to sin, meaning we could do nothing but sin. All of our good works were as nothing, right? But now we have the power and we have the authority to, con to manifest God's word in our life, God's power in our life, to be righteous, to, be, to live up to that righteousness. We'll never be 100% righteous on this side of heaven, but nonetheless, by being in Christ, we've been given these spiritual gifts to be overcomers, right? Blessed are the overcomers, because we're going to overcome, we can overcome 
our own self, right? Um, so being in Christ, it's the redeemed person's new position, right, in the resurrection life. Um, so this concept, Paul was, this was only re revealed to Paul too, not the other apostles. Um, and so this, this might have been the second sort of thing that he could impart to the, the Roman believers was positional truth and in the union of the, uh, the body of the Jews and Gentiles. Um, okay, one, we'll just do the benefit of visit for Paul. So when we're back in Romans, uh, shoot back to Romans 1, verses 12 and 13. We're out of Ephesians. We'll just finish up the benefit of the visit for Paul. So while we see that there's a tremendous gift of understanding and revealing that Paul can give to this church, um, we find out that it's, it's a mutual benefit, right? Verse 12. Someone read verse 12 of chapter 1, Romans 1. So Paul was very careful to guard against the idea that he was superior, right? Um, that he was, uh, because of this revelation, because of this understanding of this mystery, he was very careful to be bombastic about it or pompous about it, right? He wanted to make sure that he, they didn't feel like he was superior to them um, just because he could impart some of these spiritual gifts to them. So it would be mutually beneficial because um, he'd be encouraged by seeing, excuse me, the believers in Rome get more understanding and more revelation and grow in faith, right? As an if you think of an apostle as a father-like figure in the sense of ch children that he's helping to bring along, that would impart benefit to Paul. Of all the things Paul had been dealing with in his travels, right, being in prison and being stoned and, you know, all these things, assassination attempts and all these things, he would be mutually benefited by the church in Rome because they would be growing and maturing. And as a father sort of sense, that would be very encouraging to him. And he could learn things from them concerning their own faith, right? Um, and then verse 13, he says, I do not... Yeah, that's very true. It's a, in part imputed like a zeal or, or passion. Yes, that's very true. Uh, verse 13a, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, right? Um, Paul uses this phrase quite a bit. You know, I don't want you to be unaware or ignorant. Um, he emphasizes this often to say, hey, now I really want you to understand what I'm about to say, <laughs> more or less, right? He wanted to come visit them on several occasions, but it always was hindered, and we read about that in Acts, right? Um, so then he reveals, finally he reveals another reason for his desire to come to Rome. It says, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. So Peter was the apostle to the Jews, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, and he was going to exercise, Paul was going to exercise apostolic authority among the Gentiles, so that's why he wanted to come to Rome, because Rome was, all roads lead to Rome, right? And so Rome was a, a, a very quality church. It had a, a good uh, congregation. 
even though it wasn't founded by an apostle, he understood that the church in Rome is a center hub um, to spread out, and he wanted to move his whole ministry over to Rome, right? So he wanted the fruit of the Gentiles too, um, that the Gentiles had, that he had had in other churches around too. Okay, so with that, we will close or pray. Good? Good. There's a lot going on in Romans. <laughs> we'll be all over the place, which is good. Okay, let's pray. Father God, we bow our hearts, Lord, just so grateful and thankful that we have your word, that we have the words of, of your apostles that we can still understand and, and read and, 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 and get to the, the core of the mysteries and get to the core of the doctrine that you have given to them and that by, by their obedience we can follow you. Lord, we ask that you continue to give us uh, inspiration and give us illumination and give us uh, motivation to, to understand your word, to, to reason with your word, and to apply it to our daily lives. Lord, let us not just be hearers, but let us be doers. Uh, we thank you. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>